On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, Dustin has said two things that need clarification. Shocker! Can you believe I communicate for a living? You'll find out if your pastors actually believe the things they preach, and our nature is to act upon our nature. But our nature is also to die after a few decades, so maybe following our nature isn't the best strategy <laughs> for life. Just something to consider if you don't want to die prematurely. It's episode 69. Turn it up! All right, I'm awake now. This song has the uh, the effect of waking one up. Yeah, at the paltry hour of 10.30 in the morning. I just love that little guitar squeal. Isn't that great? I, it just, it's the right touch. It always brings a smile to my face <laughs> and an air guitar to my hands. <laughs> Nobody can rock an air guitar like you, Bearded oh, Beaver, Pastor thank you, Ben. sir. Episode 69 is dedicated to the movie Nefarious. This one was a surprise to me. So what happened was I uh, went over to uh, my parents' house over on the other side of the mountains there, and my dad said, hey, man, this movie just came out. It's called Nefarious, and it's about a demon-possessed guy on death row. And I'm thinking, pass. You know, because I don't know, dude. Like, Hollywood and demon possession and the whole stuff, it's just like it's just like an indulgence in the in the um, uh, the botched, you know, so, yeah. or, or debauchery, I guess. A, a celebration of the ugh. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, I I, yeah, I wasn't feeling it, but he told me, he said, look, it was, it was put out by... You know, some Christians, uh, some, so this Christian guy wrote a book and they, you know, made a movie out of it. And the point is, it's basically like designed to be the screw tape letters uh, kind of round two. And huh. not not with the same sort of, you know, profundity to it or whatever. But the goal of it is, okay, we're going to have this demon um, talking through this person <laughs> unfolding the plan to take down Western civilization. And so I was like, oh, okay, I mean... I'm, I'm sure the uh, the angelology in it is going to be absolutely hmm. horrendous, but I know I'm going to get asked about it by my people. So let's go, let's go see it. Yeah. So we go to the theater and we saw it. I was actually, given where my where my expectations were set, I, <laughs> I was impressed. So they actually got uh, the doctrine of of you know like demonology and stuff. They got it pretty well communicated. There were some points where I'm like, eh, we might call that imprecise, but I didn't see anything that was like off. Which hmm. really surprised me. So um, they took they took wonderful shots at uh, uh, liberal uh, priests and chaplains that don't actually believe things and whatever. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and ninety percent of the movie is is just uh, you know a couple of guys in a room having a conversation, and it is enthralling. So I don't know that I'm going to like buy it and watch it with my kids in the room, but. You know, I mean, just because, you know, seeing a demon-possessed guy is creepy. Yeah. But they stayed away from all the salacious stuff and whatever. Um, but, yeah, man, it was it was actually uh, something that I would I would say, yeah, you should go and watch that. A Christian should go and watch that and consider some of the some of the points that were made. Yeah. yeah. I remember in some of my less sanctified moments, I would I would watch, you know, like a, you know, a horror flick or something like that. Which, by the way, there's a guy by the name of Brian Gadawa who uh, is a, he wrote a book called Hollywood Worldviews. I'm not saying he's like, you know, 100%, you know, in my camp theologically, but he makes something very interesting. He says if you look at the at the at the horror movies in the 70s and 80s and even 90s, there was a consistent worldview of good triumphing over evil. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a very interesting discussion, you know, there's a, a he he did an interview I think on the Babylon Bee back when you know, way back in the day, I think we're talking like two, three, four years ago. But it was really, I know that's, <laughs> the world moves so fast. And it does, man. But but the interesting thing was is that you know I found now that I man I I'll, I'll watch a war movie, 
I'll watch a you know I'll watch a thriller like a cop thriller or something like that. But man, you throw anything spiritual in it, I it, I can't sleep. Really? Oh yeah, I oh. it's just it's just I can't do it. Mm. So I mean, I'm not into movies these days yeah. that have that, that require emotional investment. Yeah, like, you know, I pour myself out for you know for Christ, for the family, for the church, yep. whatever. And then when I get home, I'm like, you know what I want? I want some John Wick. I want to watch heads explode with minimal dialogue. <laughs> 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 like I hashtag not a sponsor yeah, of John I, Wick, but I can't really watch war movies these days, like historical yeah. ones, because the, just watching watching my guys, you know, get shot up and stuff. It's just like, yeah. I mean, I could I could watch it, but I'm just, that's not entertaining for me these yeah. days. But anyway, Nefarious, I would recommend watching it. Maybe not getting your theology from it, yep. um, you know, over and against the Bible, but worthwhile. But that is just a cinematic depiction of uh, some truth. Take it for what it's worth. Let's get into some actual eternal wisdom. Because you know I love it. We're looking at Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 23, and it says this. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. All right, this section starts out with a familiar formula to us, right? Solomon, the father, he's doing everything imaginable to convince his son to listen. So he uses a couplet here. Be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. And then he uses another couplet. Let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart. So it's like a couplet of couplets. It's parallel parallelisms, right? And so he, basically he's just stacking rhetorical devices to say, I'm drawing attention to this. Listen to this. this is, and he wants it to stick in your head. And then when he gives the reason for it, it all becomes clear, right? So verse 22, for they, his words, are life to those who find them and healing for all flesh or healing to all flesh. All right. So if you've been following us through Proverbs so far, you've seen this formulation a lot. My words lead to life. Ignoring them leads to death. And so Solomon gets to say that for two reasons. Number one, he's writing the Bible. He's authoritative on this point. The Holy Spirit is saying it through him, and he can just say, this be the way that it be. Also, though, he's a dad. And personally, I think every dad should talk like this. Every dad should invest his statements to his children with some authority, right? He should say, this is how it is. And this is a life or death thing. You're listening to your dad is a life or death matter. Then in verse 23, he says something that has really always stuck with me. Um, And I I don't really, I don't know that that I really have a life verse. I never really thought about it in those Hmm. terms. But if I had one, this would probably be it. I use this all the time. Well, either this one or 1 Corinthians 15, 34 recently has become a life verse for me, which is very simply this. Stop sinning. Some have no knowledge mm-hmm. of God. I say this to your shame. <laughs> I feel like that one could apply to me most points of most days. But Proverbs 4.23 really is a go-to for me. And it says this, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the wellsprings of life. Yeah. So here's what sticks out to me. He says this with a certain emphasis that I don't see in a lot of other places. The version that, the version that I um, memorized years ago, it said this, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. 
Now the weird thing is, I can't find that translation now. I looked through all the ones on Lagos, and I didn't, I didn't see that wording. So I don't know what I was reading or memorizing back then. You know how things just kind of stick at weird points in your life, and you can't really choose them. But regardless, it's like above all else, or you know, with all vigilance. There's a seriousness here to this idea of guarding your heart, right? He and he's he's like putting all of his eggs in this basket. It's like he's saying, if you get nothing else from me, get this. So. In biblical thought, the heart is not just your blood pump, right? Hmm. It's it, it, like poetically, it doesn't just refer to your emotions. He's not saying here, protect your feelings, right? The The heart is the motivational center for everything that you do. You do a million things every day in life. You make a million decisions, right? But the heart provides the reason that you do those things. From your heart comes the why behind the what. And that's what God is far more interested in than the what. God does care about your actions. He cares, right? He sees everything. He cares, but he cares far more about the heart behind them. So basically Solomon is saying here, look, guard your motivations. When he says guard your heart, it comes to us, it comes across to us as guard your feelings. He's not saying guard your feelings. He's saying guard your motivations. Check what you really want, right? Ask yourself the scary questions about not not just like, you know, what you're trying to get done, but why are you trying to get this done? Right? What, what's going to be the payoff? Maybe even just emotionally for you. Like, is this going to make you happier if you do this? Well, where's your joy, right? What are you actually chasing? And, and get beyond this particular situation you're looking at. Or what are you afraid of if this endeavor doesn't work? Maybe that'll expose an idol for you, right? So uh, I, I took this guy out, Stanley Hughes. He was a pastor here uh, in uh, at Richland Baptist Church forever, right? He's retired now. But I used to take him out and just buy him lunch. And uh, I would eat before I went. And then I would buy him lunch and I would just sit there with a, a notepad and just ask him questions and just scribble, man. Cause like, like the wisdom would just fall out of his mouth, like nothing. He would drop it like a candy wrapper and then just keep talking. But for me, that's like, I'm like, this is life changing stuff. So one of the things I remember one time we were at Sherry's, that one that they just demolished and leveled to the ground. And I'm sad. I'm like, oh, I had good memories there. One of the good memories there was the pigs in a blanket that they used to. Anyway, no, but another one of the good memories was. I was sitting in a booth there by the door with him, and he just kept saying this one thing in that conversation. And he said, yeah, just check your motivations. Just check your motivations. And it's so simple, right? I'm like, okay, check your motivations. But I didn't understand why he kept going back to that. And then later on, um, I kind of got it because it was like, you know, as I learned to kind of do that, like, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or why do I feel a tightness in my gut when I think about this not working out? What's, what am I actually afraid of happening and that kind of thing? Then, you know, it... it taught me to steer towards certain things and away from other things. And God is very pleased with those decisions, right? Because not every, not every endeavor, uh, not every success brings about what God actually desires. Sometimes it brings about things that we desire, but that's not the same thing all the time, right? In fact, oftentimes it's not. So check your motivations. Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart. Or with all vigilance, okay, with, with attention. Don't let your guard down. You guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, is some of the best advice you will ever get from anybody, ever. And that's why the Holy Spirit put it there. Some other stuff that he put there uh, is, uh, you know, in the Bible it says, hey, have some pastors and let them shepherd you. And we don't always do as well as Solomon. But we're going to give it a shot here. So we got some uh, some questions that have been written in over time. And we're just going to pick them off one by one. Bearded Beaver, Pastor Ben, so happy you're here. What do we got, good sir? Well, um, first, uh, one of the I don't know if it was one of the questions, but it was one of the things that I think that we were going to do was give our Mount Rushmore. 
Uh, we broke that off into the next episode. Oh, we did. Yeah. So way to spoil that for Sorry, us. Sorry, you're going to have to wait on that yeah. one. I always miss my cue buttons, and uh, you jump ahead and, and tell people uh, something. that they, you, you create uh, expectations and desires and hopes and dreams that we can't fulfill right now. So, so way to just let everybody down. next time. And wipe your tears. Uh, yeah, don't It'll cry. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. All right, so um, we are going to look at a couple questions for clarification. Dustin. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Honestly, I put this this uh, show sheet together like, what, two, three weeks ago now? So I, I literally do not know what we're getting asked. All right. But so, apparently it's directed straight at me. It, well, it is. Because what from I- the basics class uh, last Sunday, you ended with a question. How are you different now than you were before God saved you? God saved me when I was like five what can I look back at and, and, and what, how should I be asking myself this question since I, I don't have a time in my life where I can look back and remember not being saved? Yeah, Pastor Ben, can I just ask you to give a shout-out to Boring Testimonies real quick? Oh, Boring Testimonies are so good. <laughs> they are great. They're testimonies of God's faithfulness. They're testimonies of, of Him, oh gosh, redeeming people before they build up a ton of scar tissue. And, and, and as, as a pastor, look, I love, I love it when God saves somebody who's got a powerful, who's got, you know, one of those, like I was, you know, neck deep in sin and yeah. all that stuff. But I think that one thing that's interesting, even about a boring testimony is it still has the same root. It's just, we, we just find more sanctified ways to sin, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's, it's whether it's, you know, more I'm, sanctified ways to sin. Oh, that is such a depressingly accurate description well, it, of so much. It's probably, I, I probably might want to say more respectable ways to sin, because that would kind of go along with Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, right? Yeah, I get what you're saying, you though. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, so so anyway, if you got a boring testimony, brother, sister, own it. Rock it. Run it. It's great. But, um, but you know, like like we, we, we have this person who was saved at five. Mm-hmm. What do I, what do we do with that? Yeah. Cause yeah. The question was, how are you different now than before yeah. Jesus saved you? And her point's like, uh, I don't wear diapers. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and actually let me, let me give one quick illustration of a boring testimony because I spent a while asking myself this question, like, man, testimonies are so powerful when they're used for evangelism but I was kind of like born on a front pew, you know, I'm sort of a white bread, you know, Christian. So, you know, what, what's the, what's the testimony there? What has God saved me from that can't just be attributed to good parenting, right? Um, Because we want to make the glory of God stand out. And I did have good parents. And so what do you do? So um, (laughs) that was a weird statement. I had good parents. What am I supposed to do? Um, but w- what hit me one time was that both my parents are first generation Christians, and this hit me when I was talking to a, mm. a dad. He, he was he was a dad, but he didn't realize that the baby in his girlfriend's womb was already his child. And so I was down at U Medical down there talking to this dad and um, trying to like because she was scared, and so they're considering abortion and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, bro, like she doesn't want to kill this baby, and you don't want to kill this baby. You're just sitting there saying like, well. I'm here to support her and whatever she wants to do. And I'm like, she's begging you to just take some leadership, man. Like, if you just get up there and say, I'm going to provide for you and this baby. I don't know how it's going to work, but we're going to make this thing work. We choose life. I said, she will love you forever. And then you're going to put a ring on it. And then you guys are going to form a family. Like, let's go. 
but the thing is, he was like this 15 or 16 year old Mexican gangbanger, and he's looking at me with, you know, and there's a dress code there. So, like, I'm wearing slacks and my shirt's tucked in, right? And he's looking at me like, dude, what can you possibly tell me, right? How, what can you know about my life? And it hit me in that moment, like, okay, I don't know what it's like to be you, but I know what it can be like for your son. Because my dad was you, like in our culture, yeah. right? He, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like a street corner drug dealer or whatever. But, you know, if you go through my dad's testimony, it's pretty wild, right? Hmm. And so it's like, but then my dad made this change and he planted his flag. And then he married my mom and they planted their flag. And now me and my sister were raised in this environment. So I'm telling you, dude, like, like I am, I am your son's testimony that, that yeah. you want or daughter or whatever it was. So, and that got him listening. So my boring testimony actually wound yeah. up being helpful for this guy. Yeah, and and yeah, any testimony, I mean, and and to really think about it, it's not your testimony that's going to save anybody, right? Get it. Romans Romans chapter 1, right? It is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel. For those who believe, the Jew first and the Gentile. There's a lot of different testimonies for a Jewish person versus a Gentile person. So with a boring testimony, you could say, Jesus saves, look, Yeah. right? Right? Yeah, and Jesus loves the little children. Look, yep. he got me when I was little. Precisely. So yeah, that's that's one thing to think about here is like, okay, maybe you don't have a, a whole life of bad decisions before Christ saved you, but what did he save you from, right? And and just, just kind of soak on that, you know, soak in, into that for a second. And also, your, your life can be a shining example of the kindness of God. Yeah. And, and, and even if you look at your own testimony— how about what has God been doing in your life post Jesus, right? So, so post salvation, right? I mean, look, we all we all know five year olds, we all know four year olds, right? And uh, yeah, you can definitely see the desire for self rule, mm-hmm. the desire for their own autonomy. Now, if that changes, and because of the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating that little heart at at five years old, awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But to but then, then look at what he's doing now. How are you growing, right? I mean, you got yeah, you got like Second Peter, right? He he talks about the gospel, and then he says, for this very reason, the very reason that God had through these through uh, He's given us the this power that pertains to life and godliness, and this is through the knowledge of Him who called us for His own glory and excellence. And then he explains that a little bit. But then he says, for this very reason, because we have this power, right? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue, and, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are your and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is, are you growing? And, and if you are, praise God. Mm-hmm. What are you learning? How is his spirit teaching you? What what edges is he is he knocking off? Yeah, right? so you can be a testimony of what it looks like for God to walk with somebody over the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know? every everybody wants everybody wants the fancy story about the moment of conversion, but what about the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. Right, and you can be a testimony of that. So yeah. yeah, I would say put some thought into those things. Absolutely. I mean, my my conversion. I was in church. I watched a girl get baptized. I said, "Wait a minute! I want to follow Jesus. Let's do this." You know what's weird? This is yeah. so off topic, but I have noticed here. And I've never even said this out loud. This is probably something I should have said in a pastoral meeting first. But I've noticed here huh. that um, communion has been one of the biggest evangelistic tools we've had. 
Have you have you noticed that? Am I am I the first one to see this? Because like people are, are asking, like, should I take communion? Why do I feel like I can't take communion right now? Wait a second. Pastor Ben just got up there and gave this warning about people. Maybe I fall into that category. I need to go ask some questions. Or little kids, like they see their parents going and doing it and they say, I want to know, you know, why? And we say, Okay, let's talk about baptism first. Now let's yeah. talk about the gospel that leads to the baptism and things yeah. like that. And so I think I really think that other than than personal evangelism, just people going out and sharing the gospel with folks. I think we've probably seen more people get saved here in the last couple of years, um, starting with communion than yeah. anything else. Not them taking it, but just having to confront the issue of yeah. whether they should. Well, I even I would even take that to the next step. Is that the good pastor friend of mine from way back in the day, shout out Pastor Tim. Whoop. Okay, so Pastor Tim who? T- Tim Menez. There you go. Yeah, that's right. If you ever see, if you've ever heard this podcast, oh boy! All right, so, um, but but he said he talks about he he shared this once, and I'm sure he was quoting somebody else, but but he said the the gospel that the, the that the Lord's table is a visual gospel, sure, and and that is something that and and it's something that we need, right? And so, whether or not you are in the faith, you hear the gospel, and that's why when like for example, at grace and truth. We'll we'll do what we call as fencing the table, right? right? And so we'll we'll say, hey, this is for believers. By the way, you know what that means? That means you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on mm-hmm. your behalf and his resurrection from the dead to save you and not of yourself. This is us resting in that. And then there's there's an explanation yeah. of that. So you have this visual gospel being proclaimed every Sunday. Yeah, the term that I use well, a every- lot is time we take it right the, the term that i use a lot for that and for baptism is reenactment of the gospel exactly yeah, right in front of your face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right so that is uh, question number one question number two uh you told us that reminded me of mortal by combat way, by the way mortal combat yeah. round two fight <laughs> okay sorry i can't i can't do the uh, okay Never mind. No, go ahead. All right. You're okay. committed now. You remember you, you do you remember like the old 80s like police academy movies and there was the guy that could like the the voice guy. The voice guy. Yeah. yeah. Please come to the office now. You're needed immediately. Yes. Yeah. And it was amazing, right? And and then I saw him doing uh, an electric guitar solo with some with another with an acoustic guitar player and he was <laughs> rocking it. And I was like, "How do you do that with your voice?" I cannot do that with my voice He's as we have I love him. we have seen today. Mm. All right, number 2. You Dustin, you told us Again? Yeah. What did I do this time? I don't know, man. So, you told us in a weekly members email about how you visualize the work of God mm. when you're praying. Oh yeah. But how do you picture God the Father in those moments? You left that out, and I'm interested to know how we can do that without violating the Second Commandment. commandment. Yeah, I don't picture God the Father. That's that's, (laughs) it's real simple. Yeah, so if if you if you weren't in on that, the uh, the the members email I was given a I do these midweek application emails to our church members, right? Um, Just a it's like it's micro pastoring. It's the same thing we're doing with the podcast. It's just keeping Christ in front of people throughout the week. So. Anyway, we're doing this series on praying together, you know, before I start Exodus. And uh, that was the thing was like, okay, hey, when you, that that Sunday I was saying, when you are praying, here's what God is doing. Like, here's prayer, corporate prayer from God's perspective. And so in that email, I just said, look, man, when I'm, when I'm praying there, there is an imaginative filling in of the gaps that happens based on the descriptions of God's activity that we have in the Bible. So you get first Corinthians two, the Holy spirit is searching the depths of God and, and, and knowing the depths mm. of man and filling that connective role. And you know, in my head, 
spirit and, and wind and breath, since they're all the same word, and you know, in uh, Hebrew it's ruach, and in, in Greek it's uh, pneuma. And so I do kind of see a wind going back and forth between us and God, like a, as a connection piece. It's a weird image. It's not like from the Bible. It's just sort of the way that my brain sort of pictures it, right? And then I, th- I see Christ sitting at the right hand of God and essentially pointing at me saying, he's here with me because I'm praying in the name of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the plus one on his ticket into the yeah. throne room of God. And so, um, yeah, but as far as God the Father, the reason I left it out is because I don't picture God the Father. He dwells in unapproachable light. Um, you know, like John one eighteen is it 18? No one has seen God at any time. Right? Yeah. But the son who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him to us or he has shown him or exegeted him to us. And so if you want to see God the father, you look at Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So I just kind of don't. Now, if if you did have some kind of picture in your mind of what God the father looks like, I don't actually think that would be a, a an exact violation of the second commandment because the second commandment says, do not make for yourself a graven, graven image. image. Yeah. So I don't think you would be violating it. But I think he would be violating the principle that he's trying to avoid, which is you don't know what God looks like. So if you're picturing God the Father in your mind, is it blasphemous? Not necessarily. It could get there, but I would say not necessarily. Is it accurate? Certainly not. So whatever you're picturing of God the Father is inaccurate. So what I'm like, when I when I picture that, it's actually kind of funny. This is just my my brain. I wouldn't prescribe this for anybody else. I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father because that's where, you know, Hebrews 4 or two, four, says that he is. Yeah, that's where it says that he is. And then I just kind of see the the right armrest of the throne. (laughs) That makes it into the frame in my head. Wow. That's it. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when I'm I'm praying, I'm usually, I don't know if I necessarily have a picture Mm -hmm. other than what, you know, I'm, 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 maybe, maybe the picture in my head, if, if I could say that, is just the work that I'm asking God to do. Like if I'm asking him for something, right? So, so you're, you're picturing the like the actions of like if you're if you're praying for wind, you're picturing the leaves shake. Kind of okay, yeah. I mean it, it's it's a and you know if I'm asking God for to save somebody, I'm 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 prayerfully expecting or prayerfully enjoying that 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 hope, mm-hmm. right? That God actually will save you know those those precious ones that I am praying for. Yeah. So yeah, or or. Delivering them from you know struggles with you know with uh, pers- persistent sin or something like yeah. that, and I'm just like, man, I'm praying for those folks. And how cool would it be that so and so would be like Captain Awesome, Godly Father, and 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 what kind of change that would make in 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 their in their marriages or in their families uh, amongst their kids? Just that you know. So, but yeah, I mean. You know, when you said breaking the violating that that second commandment, I I would uh, can can I branch off into a movie for a second? Oh, so then Bruce Almighty, <laughs> totally, totally, <laughs> it's hilarious. But I I can I, I can see like because you you would not I mean Morgan Freeman, you know, at taking on that role. I mean, I understand it's an art it, that, that 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 probably is more of an artistic thing. Come here, Bruce. I'm going to give you my job for a day. Yeah. And and there are some pretty interesting corollaries, right? Do you remember when but, when he says yes to all prayers, he gets on his, his email? Yes. He goes, Yahweh. Yeah. And he says yes to all and then there's like riots in the streets. Yeah. It, I mean it made a, it made a good point. It's 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 an illustrative movie for a whole lot of truth of like, look, you don't you don't control God. Yeah. You know, it's it's right that he be in control. Okay. Now I got it. It got it that at almost the most blasphemous way imaginable. Yeah. 
And um, mm. there are better ways to make that point. Yeah. Yeah, good point. I've never thought of Bruce Almighty when I think of violating the second commandment, but my goodness, is that a good example? That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Okay. So, all right, question number three. By the way, I I should clarify. Those those practices of what we are Mm -hmm. picturing or imagining, right? We are not recommending these practices. No. This is personal testimony. Yeah. Get your prayer practices from the Bible. But, you know... You can you can feel free to within biblical boundaries experiment in your prayer practices, oh, right? Yeah. Like it's it's very individual. And in fact, one of the cool things that you'll read, I got I got a great book once um, called uh, the the Prayer Life of the Syriac Church Fathers. And these guys, once once Islam cut through, they wound up being really isolated, and so they didn't have anybody to knock the rough edges off of their thinking, which led to some problems. And they get they get so mystical in their that it gets heretical at times to the point where they're like, okay, we got to have union with Christ. And so they'll talk about like being like actually literally one being in essence with God. Well, that's heresy. You don't want to do that. Yeah. But if you got to chew the meat and spit out the bones on this stuff, because a lot of these guys didn't even have full copies of the Bible. So they were working with partial information. So we show them some grace, but I read that book and I'm just like, man, these guys, these guys were, were experimenting in prayer in ways that I never actually gave myself permission to, but there's nothing unbiblical about it. Like, pray from a different posture. Practice some silence, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. And I just never thought of it before. So, yeah. you know, you can, you can be liberated to try different methods and modes of prayer within biblical boundaries. So that's the point of us yeah. talking about our imaginations. Yeah, I like how Tim Keller sometimes talk, talks about prayer. When he, and, he, and I think it's in, 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 his, in his book on prayer, there's a mystical nature Sure. To prayer. Well, and in that book, he said that Christians are mystics at our core. Yeah. Right. And they, you got to hear what he is saying and what he's not saying by that, yeah. but he's right. Yeah. And, and, and to yeah, another great, I mean, another great thing is, you know, as you're meditating on scripture and getting all of, getting all of that and then letting that transform your prayers and then start thinking, what would it look like? You know, like if, if I, if I prayed that crazy awesome prayer from Paul, right? That we would be strengthened with uh, the power, with, so that with all the saints, we would be able to comprehend the four-dimensional aspect of Jesus's love for us, and that that what 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 would that do? What would it do to know the unknowable? Yeah, and 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 what would that do in the life of our saints, right? You know, or or my brothers and sisters in Christ. What would that do? Mm-hmm. And 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 how? What kind of crazy awesome things would happen there? God, would you do that? I mean, I, I was I was actually praying with the with the sisters over at U Medical today, and and I just I felt like, man, God, would you just astound us, shock us? I mean, shock and awe. Just mm-hmm. totally tell us, do do, do do amazing work that we can't claim any credit for, so that we could just be like worshiping you. Yep. You know, and and man, that that is something that that just. That prayer that Paul has in Ephesians, man, whenever, whenever I, whenever I don't know what to pray, that pretty Re- much comes up. Revert to that, yep. exactly. Yep. All right. Yeah. What's the last one we got? Last question: Have you ever preached or taught something that you weren't fully or totally convinced of? Uh, no, um, because that would be hypocrisy and hypocrisy at best and outright lying at worst. Um, I have. I have said, I, I have taught things using words that are historically reliable that I'm not sure the best way to phrase something, but 
my thought about a better way to explain it is a new thought. And so I don't trust it as much as I trust the tried and true stuff. Mm -hmm. So there have been times I'm trying to think of an example, but there have been times where it's like, okay, I'm going to revert to the classic reformation explanation of this doctrine even though I think maybe it might be better if I say it this way, but I'm not sure about that yet, right? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, because language and culture change too, yeah. right? So so being able to communicate that thought to this crowd mm-hmm. who may not be, you know, they're not even at the same place as as as, a num- as the reformers were when they were breaking from the Catholic Church, right? Mm-hmm. So so the... The, the question and the answer are, you know, that there's there's a shade of difference. Right. Right. And I and it, it, obviously, you know, the gospel is the gospel is the gospel. Yeah. But in communicating that, yeah, there, there certainly is comfort in, okay, people who are smart and long dead said this and it's accurate. And it's been tested. Yes. In, you know, under pressure and has held, whereas yeah. my ideas may not have. So, yeah, like, I, I think maybe a good example of this would be the Apostles' Creed. Right. So... The Apostles' Creed, I think, I, I had a, a phase of life where it, you know, lasted about six minutes, and uh, I, I was wondering, like, what's the point of the Apostles' Creed now? Because my, my, my thing at the time was, it does nothing to differentiate us from Roman Catholics, right? Because it predates the, the split. Mm-hmm. And so, if a Roman Catholic can affirm it, and I can affirm it, what good is it? Because now we've got, we've got the Papists, the Romanists, that have split off and become a cult, and they can still affirm this thing and say they believe every bit of it. So, like, why why are we? Because I know some reform traditions will recite that in their um, in their churches every week. And I'm thinking, why you you're Protestants? You are protesting the people that can also affirm this thing. Like, why wouldn't you just distinguish yourselves? Right. So, the question on my mind at the time was, what's the point of this thing? We've got better ones since then. Then I, I said that out loud in a in a, a group of my pastor buddies, and one of them, Ryan uh, Ryan Damrell over there at. Uh, uh, redeeming grace, a reformed Baptist church in Kennewick as the kind of prototypical reformed guy in the room. He explained it. He was like, look, dude, here's the deal. Um, it lays out the essential skeleton of Christian doctrine and all kinds of guys have gotten in there and redirected parts of it, but it is, it is a piece of, of sen- It is a centralizing doctrinal statement that predates the, the, um, conflict that you are referencing. Yeah. And so we can still go back to it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just good to, for people to memorize in the same way that, you know, it's good for them to memorize the Lord's Prayer, even though that's not the fullness of a prayer life, right? And I was yeah. like, okay, I can dig that. And so with that then, I've reverted back at times to, you know, hey, this is why we've always said since the Apostles' Creed, boom, boom, boom. Yep. And then I'll reference that. Even yeah. though there's probably a better articulation of it since then, and there's, there's even one that, that I may prefer Right, mm-hmm. um, or I may prefer to explain it in a way that's a little more modern or contextualized. I trust that. Yeah. So I, I guess that's what I'm saying. And if if I understand the heart behind this question, have you ever preached something that you don't fully believe or aren't fully convinced of, or whatever the the question was? That's it's really important to for people to know that about their pastors. I think this yeah. is a really great question because we get up every week and we say, "Thus saith the Lord," and I'm not screwing around and I'm not backing yeah. down. You know, and we'll tell people where you know, well, this piece here good Christians disagree about that. Here's my take on it. Like, you know, we've got categories for secondary doctrines, but you know, but we get up and speak with a lot of confidence. Yeah. Every single stinking week, multiple times a week, most of the time, it's a good question to know. Is that ever, is that ever something that you do just because Sunday is here and you have to, right? Thankfully, 
I've never run into that. Which, by the way, if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking that you might be called as a pastor or a church planter, let me tell you why I've never run into that problem. It's not just because I'm an arrogant jerk that's so confident that I'm right all the time. The reason is because if you study a text deeply enough, then only 20% of what you study is going to make it into the pulpit anyway. Yeah, and if there's a true. piece of it that you're not convinced of, leave it out and, and talk about yep. something else that you know you can affirm as truth. Yeah. You can get back to that one later. So yeah, if, you, if your study habits are good enough then there's plenty to pick from and you don't you don't get backed into those corners where you have to make those decisions. Yeah. And it you know, I, I think I think much like you, I, I when I at the point of preaching, I'm convinced that, that as a result of my study, because you know, you know, normally when I start my study, I'm begging the Holy Spirit to bring illumination to the text because I gotta because and again, you're a good pastor will carry the weight of the fact that he's expounding the word of God to God's people. Yep. Right. Isaiah 66 too, right. He trembles at my word. Yeah. And, and so when it, when it comes to it, it's like, okay. Th- and, and when I've had to make a call, like if I, if there's a, if there's a doctrine or, or, uh, or a, a way, I won't even say a doctrine, I'd say um, a way to interpret a particular text. Yep. Right. And, and, and I'm just not sure because it, it could go both ways. Well, I'll right? give you this example and yeah. you roll with it. I preached through Daniel. Yes. So I, I came up against a couple of those. So if you're preaching through Daniel now, now we've yep. got a concrete example. Yeah, so I'm preaching through Daniel, and 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 so all of a sudden I need to make a decision about which way this text is going, and 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 so some of that comes from going to guys I trust, right? Good comment, good commentaries are are very helpful. Some of it is praying like mad, like God, I really don't want to screw up your word here. So you know, and and sometimes it, you know, again, I just I get I get out of my own head, go take a walk for a second, and all of a sudden, boom, it's it's there. Now I will bring up, maybe depending on depending on how confusing it might be, because I don't want to be processing my theology in the pulpit, right? right? But but I might bring up some of you might might have heard this particular interpretation. Good and fair and wonderful Christians mm-hmm. take that particular interpretation. Here's why I'm taking this one. This is where I see the word of God going. Now, that is a that's that's that and usually at those points I may not say the, you know thus saith the Lord, but I will say this is this seems to fit with the text. Mm-hmm. And a and an old um an old preacher uh a guy by the name of George Fox would always George say George Fox. Oh man, he was awesome. Um he was spoke, Fox. Spoke with a Scottish broke. It was awesome. Yep. Oh man. And he he made up all kinds of words. Um he's with the Lord now. But uh he he said um he said two things. First of all, the sweat work leads to the sweet work, mm-hmm. right? So the sweating that was of the text, Fox. that was George Fox. I love that yeah, phrase. That's yeah. awesome. And then, um, and then he said something else. He said the point of the text is the point of the passage. And a lot of times those, those different interpretations, they are nuances on the point of the text. What's mm-hmm. the point of the text? Why is Jesus saying, for example, I am the vine and you are the branches? Yep. He's saying, abide in me. Right. Your works, your fruit, come through me well here's a great you know, example of this is yeah. john chapter six where he he tells him like you know this this is my um well i guess in the the last supper this is my body which is given for you right yeah and so then you get this weird doctrine of transubstantiation and all this kind of stuff that comes out of it it's like what point is he making yes right let's stop looking for codes in john six he says i am the bread of life and so then you get in there with the, the transubstantiationalists get in there and say mm-hmm. ah so the blood literally the, the, the bread literally turns into the body of christ it's like, it's like no this isn't a metaphysical science textbook he's making a point here now preach that yeah exactly so um now i have had to correct something in the well if i've if i've preached and i and my and my position changed and I, and but it wasn't 
it, but it wasn't like I wasn't unsure. I was just given better data and, right. and I had to, and I had to issue not a attraction per se, but just, can say, you think you of know. an example? Well, um, uh, my, probably my famous one is, is I was leaning really heavy towards modalism. And so uh-huh. I would try to explain the Trinity by saying, you know, God, you know, I, I would, I would basically explain it in a modalistic kind of way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so define modalism. For um, modalism is, is a God exi- that, that is the heresy that God exists in three modes, but he's still the same God. So for example, the God of the old Testament was the God of the Jews. And then, and then the God of the new Testament was Jesus. That was just, you know, God putting on Jesus skin. Mm-hmm. And then the God, the God, the Holy Spirit is now the spirit that dwells within us. That's the God. So That's sometimes God, God shows up yeah. as Jesus. Sometimes yep. he shows up as the Holy Spirit, yep. but these are not distinct persons within a Godhead. Yeah, and my, I, I, I wasn't believing that, but my explanation was getting there, and right. so I had so a it was like without realizing it, your, exactly. your explanation could have led somebody towards those assumptions. And a faithful brother said, hey, you gotta be careful, and be really careful on your on on your Doctrine of the Trinity, which we, yeah. we talked about in a previous podcast, but he said that is, that could be taken as modalism. You're gonna have to really work on your definitions yep. there a little bit better. And so, and I changed. Thank God for that guy. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, ben it, Matthews. And what? Ben Matthews. Ben Matthews. Yep. Mm. So I had to, I don't think I've ever gotten up in the pulpit and said, hey, I was wrong about this doctrine. Um, I don't think I've ever had to make that change. What I have done is I've missed connections before. Yeah. And so like, I remember one time it was, it was ridiculous. I'm, I'm forgetting what the, uh, what the passage was. It was somewhere in Genesis and there was a connection to Galatians and the Galatians passage well, I don't think it was on the Abraham thing in Galatians 3 or 4. There must have been. Anyway, um, the, the, the Galatians passage was the gospel application of the Genesis passage. And I had studied all of that out. I think I'd been a pastor here for about a year. And I had all this mountain of information. And what you do is you study a ton of information. And then you pick and choose what's going to be most helpful to the church. And I got so wrapped up in application mode for day-to-day life because it was there. I missed the Galatians 3 thing. It was in my notes. I just somehow it didn't stand out to me as being that important. Yeah. And so then the next week, you know, so I, I, I preach the sermon. Monday, I sit down. I start studying for my next text. And it just jumps out at me. And I'm like... How did I miss that? So I had to get up the following Sunday and say, uh, guys, I, I blew it on this one. I, mm-hmm. you know, because my explanation was different than the apostle Paul's explanation. Yeah. That's a problem. And yeah. so I, I, I was like, I was a brand new pastor. The church is growing and I got new believers everywhere. And I'm just like, I'm about to totally sacrifice my credibility, but I can't tell you how many hugs I got after that. And just people saying, thank you. Like, you know, we're humans handling the Bible. Exactly. And it wound up being a good example for people to be like, yeah. Oh, my theology can change based on new biblical information. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I've, d- I've done that a couple of times since then. Um, the only other one I can remember was, it was a Resurrection Sunday, believe it or not. Which, if you're going to make a doctrinal screw-up, make sure that you have more people in the room than will be there the rest of the year. That's my rule. Um, but I said something about, it was like off the cuff, because I wasn't, I, I was off script at this point, you know, like normal. And um, I said something about like, uh, you know, Jesus on the cross, and then they, and they, they, you know, they were showing all this hatred towards him and they're breaking his bones just to make it hurt and things like that. Well, they didn't break his bones on the cross. Yeah. That's a Psalm 22 issue, right? And so I had to come back the next week and be like, guys, if you were in second service, I said this, Jesus did not have a bone broken on the cross. They broke the other guy's bones. I just got that mixed up in my head because yeah. I was preaching and I was going at it. And uh, I felt really bad about that because that was a, a direct contradiction of scripture. Yeah. Right? But I mean, everybody was like, like even the people that caught it were like, oh yeah, no, we... Whatever, dude. Yeah. People mess up. It's okay. I felt terrible. 
Yeah, I mean, and and that's the and of course that's the that's the pastor's dilemma, right? Because you you you're you're also analyzing your sermon, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the train that hits. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's the Sunday blues. One of yeah. um, uh, one of the most comforting, simultaneously comforting and depressing things about being a pastor is that people are not going to remember ninety seven percent of what you say. Oh, right, which is kind of okay because the the point of pulpit ministry week in and week out is to give a steady diet. Right, mm-hmm. it's just that steady diet. I don't remember every burrito I've ever eaten, but they kept me alive at times, especially in college. Right, um, also contributed to my poor health in college because I only ate burritos for a while. Uh, they were quick, but um, you know, it's it's okay that people don't remember ninety ninety seven percent of what we say, and I'm making that number up, but it's something like that because the point is the steady diet, shaping the values and the worldview here a little and there a little. Isaiah twenty eight, yep. right? But at the same time, it's it's kind of like oh my gosh, we put a lot of work into this stuff that's just going to fall off the side. And it can be depressing until you say something stupid. And then you realize that most people, maybe all people, are not going to remember what I just said. Thank you, Lord, for the mulligan. Right? Yeah. So, anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the the big deal, guys, is to um, uh, take the Bible in a detailed way, seriously, Dig deeply into it, and then where your convictions need to change, make sure that they change based on biblical information. Yeah. Right? And uh, go watch Nefarious if you want to. It's a good use of an hour and a half, maybe. Jesus deserves disciples. Let's go be some. This world is a pretty messed up place. Can I get an amen? Amen. But we have a gospel that's perfectly suited to fix it. Can I get an amen? Amen. That was a callback to season one. Bye! Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love Him because He first loved us.